Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. I'm Jackson Wood, joined as always by Ryan Kruger, my partner and my friend. And in today's episode, this one is going to be, I'm, I'm excited. This is going to be a good one. I don't think we have talked about this in depth like we are going to do today. We've mentioned it. Um, but what we're going to do today is talk about our approach when it comes to top down technical analysis. And when you hear people, in podcasts or talking about the market, they form opinions about the market and you know they'll make their forecasts on what the market is going to do. And that's not really how we look at this. We look at the market as individual companies, individual um, positions. And because these are companies with fundamental um, fundamental metrics that we can look at, it deserves a little bit of focus and a little bit of our specific energy. Um, and so what we're going to do today is talk about how we do this top-down technical analysis, starting with sectors, and then um, kind of dive into that as it meets the fundamental analysis from the bottom up. And Ryan had a good, had a good question here that I think is, is interesting, uh, an interesting way to kind of juxtapose this. So would you rather own a home and purchase a home with no inspection? So you don't know how the roof is. You don't know how the, the foundation is. If it's been flooded, you get no inspection. You just buy the home uh, in, in a fantastic area, or would you rather buy a perfect home? So there's no inspection issues. It's perfectly built, perfectly constructed, but you don't get to pick the city. You have no idea where the home is. Um, and so I think the answer to that would be no way. We would never buy either of those. Um, and so that's kind of how we view looking at technical analysis and sec sector strength and fundamental analysis. We believe you need to do both of these and that once you go through this process, it can be very eye-opening and enlightening about the positions that you own and how you manage the portfolio. So because we launched this podcast to dispel some myths and to share our holy grail we've learned is deeply informed simplicity, I want to wipe out the word technical analysis to begin with. I've always called this our neighborhood report. And that's why I think of that ridiculous analogy. But if you think back and ask those two questions again, that's what people, professionals are doing in the stock market every day. They're only typically answering one of those two questions. They are diehard fundamental analysts. There's a lot of technical voodoo magicians and each one kind of snickers and makes fun of the other. There are hardcore technologists that believe in the fastest growing sector for all sorts of worth world-changing reasons. And then there are deep value energy, material, and industrial guys and gals. There are different size convictions, the largest, bluest of the blue chips. And then there's this bigger opportunities are in small and mid-cap, overseas versus domestic. We look at all of those different neighborhoods just as carefully as we're doing the pop the hood, look at the individual company, no matter what is happening. So to be clear, and the majority of these podcasts so far, we're talking about individual businesses. 
And we even say, as if the market closed for 10 years, would you want to own that business no matter what else is happening? And I do think macro analysis and trying to predict the direction of the world and why we say this is a market of stocks to work on, not a stock market to believe in. I, I think most of that top-down analysis and predictions is a waste of time. I really do. Um, so we are head down in those businesses under the hood, looking at them objectively with math, with zero predictions. So this episode is not going to contradict that, but we did want to share that you absolutely need to be aware of the neighborhoods. And here's how we do our neighborhood report. We're going to actually show you if this, this is kind of a nerd's delight. If you got through us on the last episode where I actually broke down, choked up and cried the human side of mailbox money. And we made it through graduation, only a few Kleenexes and big giant bear hugs. Then this is for the hardcore nerdapalooza. For the first time, we're going to show and shout out to our man McKay, who is before the Utah Utes football season starts and he's on the field videoing. He gets to work with us and push the buttons for this show. And we're better because of him. I'm grateful. So we're sharing some images that we didn't have this time last year when we started this. So I'm grateful for him. So I'm excited. So we look at this first chart. Here is how we look at the sector neighborhoods, which are very, very different. So one common theme through this episode is if you believe in the efficient market theory and just own the index and be a passive investor and don't look at any companies individually, and you certainly don't need to look at different sectors. I will completely disagree with plenty of evidence and math to back me up. And we're going to show you a couple of those today. So the first chart just shows for the last 10 years, a relentless outperformance of technology that has become the biggest sector in the stock market. And very simply what that chart you're looking at shows. And this is why you got to be a YouTube subscriber. Jackson Wood always said it. Don't be don't be a lazy dinosaur like Ryan Kruger that just likes to listen to the podcast on a bike ride or in the car. You gotta watch the YouTube. I found something out about YouTube that I should have mentioned a long time ago. If you're watching it on YouTube and you subscribe to YouTube Premium, you can actually close the screen and the audio continues to play. And so now our listeners have no excuse to not jump onto the YouTube platform so you can see the charts. But if you're going for a bike ride or strolling around your neighborhood at night, you can actually shut the screen off and you still get the sound. So now there's no excuse for those subscribers, that subscriber count to start going up. So let's go through a couple of charts. And one that shocked me is the one I wanted to lead off with and why I would always remain open minded and proof of why I would much rather be curious and not know what's about to happen with a historically wonderful reason of why I did not know what was going to happen next. And instead, never being convinced and always remaining open-minded and just watching the math. So we talk about that on a company basis. Let's talk about it overall on a neighborhood basis. So technology is the most popular neighborhood in the stock market, period. What you're looking at that chart, if the green line is going up, that means technology is outperforming the overall market. And I, I broaden it to include the S&P 1500. So that's large, mid, and small, not just the S&P 500. 
And that has been a one-way freight train. And anybody who kept saying along the way, it's too expensive, it's got to correct, lost a lot of money by not being open-minded, I think. <clears throat> and at the end of last year, for every reason in the world that made sense to fundamental analysts and technical analysts, it began to show some serious cracks in the foundation. If you notice where I circled in red, that is an absolute question mark. Is this period of unbelievable historic outperformance over? And you had every reason, and you had a lot of guys and gals take victory laps that this is the end. And finally, it's my turn as the value guy or the non-tech guy. And they were, I mean, this, these were careers on the line. The reason that Jackson and I choose to never be in one of those camps is the next chart, <laughs> which is the same sector extended by a couple of months. So if McKay puts up that next chart, there was clearly tremendous risk for all sorts of overbought, expensive valuation and technical reasons ending 2022. And then 2023 opens and a funny thing happens. That sector explodes higher when nobody was expecting it. And you and I were talking before the episode, even the most absolute dug in their heels bulls only owning these big time disruptive technology stocks were faked out they sold some of the biggest positions and we'll talk about one here in a second notice that small black line under the chart was never broken and what that is just a long term uptrend line this is not a fancy algorithm. I, I could do this with a 10 cent ruler. A great technician at Smith Barney, where I started, said it's amazing how many millions of dollars you can make with a 10 cent ruler. He was just looking at technicals. I don't believe in that, but his point is well noted <laughs> very oftentimes. You know, I think that you mentioned something there that I want to just highlight again. Going into 2022, I mean, everybody, especially the value camp, was saying this growth is over. Finally, you know, we've we've endured 10 plus years of underperformance. It's going to be like the, you know, the good old days where they wrote our textbook and value can outperform again. The technology thematic funds, they called it game over. They they sold some of their holdings, and not only that, then you had the big high level macro guys citing interest rates. And cheap money, and that's you know claiming that the, the era of borrowing cheap money to fuel growth at the cost of any sort of fundamental improvement that that was over, and then you see this chart, and it is a face ripping rally to the upside, starting about the beginning of this year, that I don't think I've seen personally in any sector um, until this, and it, it to me it's it's. It speaks to the idea of being humble and being open-minded um, and never set in stone. You have to let the math do the talking instead of you know, your opinion or your forecast and be willing to pivot and change. The, re the reason I wanted to share this page of our playbook is, is to give anybody permission to have the most unsophisticated 
investment approach of all, which if done correctly, I believe is the most elegant. And that is simply balance because what you talked about with those thematic funds and let's face it, the best of investors institutionally, big endowments along with individuals over time, they hear and read and become attracted for good reasons to different themes. And they own the technology when it's hot or try to sell it before it gets cold. And then the small cap value and then overseas because of their view on the dollar. And and it is amazing how much money can be lost that way, even when you're right. Because you're introducing timing and different bets at different times. And what is wonderfully also true is how much money you can make, and my hand's in the air here, not knowing what's going to happen next. If you are balanced across each sector in growth and value, domestically and overseas, and you don't need dozens of different accounts and funds to do that, you can do it on a roster of your own individual companies and or ETFs. If anybody is listening to this, our goal is for anybody to be able to do this on their own if they wish. If they want an expert guide, that makes sense for some people too. I know I want that in every other walk of my life, but I love the idea and we're going to share some specific examples of the beauty of balance. And while I used to think, and I'm guilty of this at the beginning of my career, when you cannot help be pulled to one side of those boats or the other with all these really fantastic forecasts. Had I known that being balanced does not mean conservative and making less money than one of those guys or gals when they're right, but in fact, what it unleashes with unbelievable upside by not knowing and being spread across the highest quality in each one of those neighborhoods, Obviously, easier said than done. That's our belief with a lot of history and evidence and math to back us up. But I want to show this next chart. And this is really, really nerdy. And I hope you can see it clear. I just want to explain what we're looking at. First, just let's just look at the green bars here of just how wildly different each neighborhood in the stock market actually is just using sectors. So the best performing sector year to date to the left there first technology is up 30 The worst, all the way to the right, energy is down 9%. So every single one of those sectors, when people ask us, what do you think of the market or how's the market doing? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't really care. I'm very, very interested. And the answers are very, very different. What's happening inside the markets or doing this neighborhood report podcast and showing you how we break down the neighborhoods. When we look first at those technical charts of relative strength, having nothing to do with the fundamentals, this is just where we're measuring buying and selling pressure for those homes in the stock market to respect what is happening and where capital is moving. Everybody wants to look at supply demand for the business and its products. I think too few people look for buying and selling pressure of the company's shares as an equal consideration. So what I put next to the green bars is just one of the fundamental analysis tools that we use to show how the market really doesn't care how good those fundamentals are under the hoods on short-term basis. 
the worst, most overpriced, and we're using earnings yield, and all that is is the inverse of price to earnings. I told you we're going to get nerdy here, but that's just real simple, by the way. any I, I would want to explain to my kid. By the way, Jackson Woods' kid, Elliot, his perf- portfolio is outperforming every single fund manager I know this year. Um, that's an episode a couple ago. One of his holdings we're going to talk about here in a second. Um, he, I'm not kidding because this is the beauty of investing with your kids. He's outperforming every professional money manager I know so far, but I want to be able to explain, I want to be able to talk about it with a kid like, like you do. What does earnings yield mean? If you get 3.6%, that if you bought a company for a hundred dollars, your earnings is $3 and 60 cents that given year. So one way to measure company's value is, well, how long would it take me to get my money back, dad? Well, if nothing changes, that's saying that's pretty expensive. Only 3.6% earnings yield would be 28 years to get your money back. You still interested in overweighting technology? Now, in fairness, that isn't static and those earnings are growing faster. And that's the reason it is more valuable and people are paying up. The question is when they pay up too much, because at the end of some of these cycles, and we may be in one right now for some of these tech companies, people will be at the same level because we've been through this before. Their stock price will be at the same level 10 or 15 years from now. And that also dispels another myth that it's not timing the market. It's time in the market. Well, I got a lot of folks that would say 10 or 15 years is a lot of time in the market. So I don't believe in that concept. I think timing matters a lot and valuation matters a lot. So you'll notice by comparison, the cheapest, most valuable on a lot of different metrics sector, which is by far and away the most unpopular, we'll talk about it in a minute, energy, you get your money back in five years at this rate, and it's growing fast as well. So which is it? And usually you're going to find guys in one or two camps. I would rather own the best house in each one of those neighborhoods. But what that neighborhood report shows you is just how little the fundamentals and technicals care about each other. So I find it an exquisite opportunity to respect both and to pull the best measurements from each because I think that's the most uncrowded math while everybody's doing one or the other. I love what you're saying about owning the best house in each neighborhood because a lot of the approaches taken by investors is kind of one or the other, right? I'm a I'm an energy guy. I'm a high yield, you know, this is what I focus on. I'm a pure indexer. And I had a conversation um, two weeks ago with um, a partner of ours when we were talking about indexing and understanding the composition of, of something like the S&P 500 being so incredibly overweight tech. And it very well in the future may be another sector, but just pointing out how overweight and would they make that decision um, on purpose, or is it just the nature of how this, you know, how this is uh, playing out in terms of you know which sectors are are improving? And so, I I love that um, I love that year to date performance, and when you benchmark it against earnings yield, because it really does kind of open your eyes to what companies are making money, how they're doing, and their relative um, kind of popularity in the overall market. And to me, that's a fascinating thought experiment to go through, especially when you think about allocating your own hard-earned precious money that you're going to need back in the future. And you're going to need to be working for you over the course of your life and in, you know, in your retirement, your freedom day. So to be clear, 
and there's nothing wrong with passive and index approaches for some folks, but let's just be clear and call it what it is. They're very, very concentrated bets. What we're proposing, what we're sharing has worked for us for a lot longer than, than a lot of this passive indexing, which has also become popular recently in the last decade or so, is just taking a balanced approach. So if the S&P is wildly overweight technology and underweight energy, we're not saying one or the other is bad or good. We're saying the economic footprint, the actual earnings of those two should argue that maybe they're closer in balance if you had to look at the next 10 years. And each one of the 10 sectors, we do that. And that balance, what it can unleash is I don't have to be bearish on technology or say it's going to pop and the bubble will pop in a lot of these different companies and industries. And we talk about the shiny objects and that they're overly crowded. The chart book this year was called Return to Real Reality for a reason. Virtual reality with heavy focus on shiny objects in technology and profitless innovation. Profitless innovation was overcrowded. But there are some technology companies, and the reason I don't want to abandon it, they're going to surprise folks. And we had a historic example that I thought was just worth sharing. Hey, guys, what do you think of when you have the largest one-day move in the history of the stock market, not our careers? It's worth talking about. It's worth sharing. And I was lucky enough because of a couple of nerdy deep dive research trips that I took several years ago. And we always like to share this open source, open playbook, including when we're wrong. It's all up on our website. I tripped down the NVIDIA rabbit hole and learned primarily years and years ago for the same reason we joked about investing with our kids, Jackson with his. Well, when mine was that age, I couldn't stand the time that was being played on video games. But my insurance policy is against ever being upset. Schmuck insurance, if you want to call it. What if, and, and every time parents are all yelling about the same thing, it's probably the next billion dollar industry I've learned. Um, those graphic processing units, those chips in those video games had so much more potential than just those video games. And the research I shared was why we'll also start curing diseases. And we were in the middle of a historic opportunity to share that too. And we share the story. It's all up on the website and Jackson can post a link to it if you're interested. That's not why we invested in the company years ago. I didn't know that was going to happen. The math led us there. It was an unusual opportunity where we talk about when one of these companies starts changing direction and accelerating good fundamentals. And we were lucky enough to take a teeny tiny percentage investment, just like no more or less than any one of them. Next door to our dividend sacred holdings, we have speculative unconstrained upside with growth holdings. That happened to be one of them. There's plenty of them there that didn't work. And we have sell disciplines when they don't. We never have a big loss as a reason. But when we have big wins, I would just share that was not because we were convicted or overweight technology. It's because we bounced and gave ourselves a chance. And any investor listening to this can do the same thing. So <laughs> I wanted to just share an eye-opening couple of considerations including in a minute, not just yet, McKay, but a, a candidate for the Mona Lisa chart for nerds of the year. But just to show how patience and being balanced can pay off and not being right. Another one of the themes of today's show. So when NVIDIA went public in 99, it started at $1 billion market cap. 
And 16 years later, it was an $11 billion market cap. And market cap means the total value, if you wanted to buy every single share, how much that company is worth. And last week, it had the biggest one-day move in market cap in stock market history, where $11 billion in 16 years to be worth that company. The reason for the move is the forecast was $11 billion one quarter in sales. That's explosive opportunities that shocked every of the most wildly bullish analysts. So much so that it exceeded their own forecast, all of which agreed were bullish, which is hard to do. And when, when you're, again, this is what was so shocking. It caught everybody off guard, off sides, I should say. Um, to get there and to surprise so many people and to reward the patient stakeholders, I would note that you had to go through an 80% drop, a 90% drop, and that was after getting cut in half once, and then to explode higher. Um, I think the most shocking data point of that big move, and I would want nobody to worry about missing that if you didn't own it. There's been plenty of big moves I have missed, and there's a joy of missing those. If you have a concentrated portfolio, you don't mind. Um, the stock actually, based on those sales, after the historic move got cheaper because that's what happens if the fundamentals grow faster than even the price. I'm not suggesting it's a bargain. It's the exact opposite of a bargain. And to prove when things get too big, and there is a law of large numbers, and these companies don't keep growing at the same rate, and there are missed opportunities. And while that doesn't mean we would necessarily sell big winners, just the opposite, the opportunity, what I would be excited about if I was listening to this and didn't own these, because my hand's in the air for that too. I'm more excited about what I'm about to say. And if McKay will pull up the next chart, we are being asked today because of this explosion in technology. We're talking about neighborhood reports and sectors and remaining balanced. The biggest of all technology stocks, Apple is worth 2.6 $2.76 trillion by itself right now. You could buy all Russell 2000 companies. Those are the smaller, high quality companies. 2000 for $2.74 trillion. I don't know if there's the next Apple or NVIDIA in that group, but that's where they started. It's at least worth considering. I like owning the highest quality house in each of those neighborhoods, but we're talking about now, we talked about sectors first. This is the reason that size, I wouldn't accidentally or passively become just a large cap investor, no more than I would ever want to just own small companies and take the risk that I've got to find the next big winner. You can, in fact, be balanced and own the highest quality house in each one of those neighborhoods as well. Where will the next one be? So it reminds me of this story right out of high school. I moved to Dallas, Texas and lived there for a few years. And I lived in this neighborhood that everybody would hate on called Oak Cliff, South Dallas, Southeast Dallas, I think. And uh, as I was there and I told my friends and family, I'm in Oak Cliff. And they said, I'll be very careful. You know, you don't want to be around that, that part of the town. And as I was there, you know, walking around, getting to know the place, I just kept thinking, like, this is actually a really nice part of the town. I wonder what everybody hates about this place. And then fast forward, like 10 years later, I go back with my wife 
And, you know, one night I'm, I'm on Zillow just looking around and the homes and the neighborhood in Oak Cliff, where I used to live a decade ago, that you wouldn't go, were selling for more than the North Dallas homes. And this entire neighborhood kind of got revived and people started flocking there from, you know, these big cities. And there's a lot, a lot more that went on and, you know, all, people work from home and all these different changes. But I think of that when I look at this chart, $2.74 trillion market cap in Apple. And that's the equivalent of all of the Russell 2000. I mean, that's mind blowing to me, just the size of Apple. And then understanding that maybe the next NVIDIA or the next uh, Apple or whatever mega cap is in that Russell 2000, because that's where they started. So I'm going to get Elliot to go through and pick, you know, which one of these companies out of these 2000 here, buddy, is uh, <laughs> is the next one because he nailed the NVIDIA. But I'll say it wasn't quite as early in the party as you were. So you <laughs> can't give him too much credit. And to be clear, and it's not either or, it's just in proper balance. Um, I share that chart to pick on and to, to remain objective and balanced ourselves. This is a long-term company holder holding for our stakeholders. I'm not suggesting it's time to sell. Um, I am suggesting that you can't just simply say that I hear all too many fundamental analysts, money managers, and individual investors say, we just buy great companies. It's a great company. I want to start this. Let's also look at the simple math and the law of large numbers and the opportunity cost. And I think having a balanced approach can work exceptionally well. Um, and I think Elliot's going to do pretty good in those neighborhoods. You, that, that's a perfect example of things change. Things change individually inside of a company, which is why we look at all of those measures to look for change. That intersection of change and confusion is the most uncrowded and investment. And you can find undervalued companies that are growing faster than the market. Because there again, that dispels another myth. You buy fast growing companies, you're going to pay up. You're going to take more risk. That is true in thematic concentrated funds. Or you buy undervalued companies that may never grow. I'm not interested in either one of those. You have the ability, if you're patient, to pay below market prices for homes in improving neighborhoods that are growing faster in the stock market. The last chart I want to share is unlike the short-term explosion and surprise at the beginning, when something very quietly starts to turn in one of those neighborhoods, like you mentioned. So we mentioned the most overcrowded sector in the stock market, although there's plenty of good with specific examples in there. The most uncrowded, I've said historically uncrowded, based on a turn in fundamentals first, would be energy. It's the most unloved for a lot of different reasons. But look at this next chart just to share with you, opening the hood on our process, what do we mean strictly on the simple technical analysis relative strength that we started out with? Once again, that line going down simply means that since 2008, energy has underperformed the stock market. When that downtrend has potentially, notice I use that word very specifically, I love not knowing for all the reasons we're sharing here, has potentially been broken. 
it's significant because if you didn't know better and you just looked at the headlines last year of, oh my gosh, this huge rally in energy. And that's why it's off a little bit this year, just digesting some of this wild gains that we were very early on. And, and we were wrong if you're just looking short-term performance several years ago when we, we didn't own energy for over 10 years in any significant size. That turn where it would fake people out ending and coming into this year, just like technology is about to fall. It was, you'd have thought reading those headlines and listening to prognosticators and forecasters that that rally, which was huge, is due for a pullback. And it was, but I just share this particular neighborhood report, this image to show you, we would be so very early in potential outperformance that can last so much longer, just like the underperformance did than any one of those forecasters or predictors will ever imagine and exactly why, just like the NVIDIA forecast, just like this, why we will never be a forecaster. It doesn't pay well. I would much rather respect and study the neighborhood reports and be under the hood looking inside. And just to give you an example, so in the S&P 500 index, we talked about over and underweighted. Of those 500 if we're using this neighborhood analogy today, 140 homes are technology. That's the current market weight. If you if you believed in and just simply owned the S&P 500 and you could do a lot worse, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's crowded. Let's be very clear about that. And there are some overvalued companies that will probably be right here at the same level when we're doing this 10 or 15 years from now, just like the last time technology was at these levels. By comparison, 20 houses of those 500 are in energy, which is getting better and significantly more uncrowded. I love looking through the foundation reports, just like these big neighborhood reports of the best homes in each one of those sectors to never know what's going to happen next and always be surprised and have sell disciplines when we're wrong. And that's across sectors sizes and styles. And if there was any one takeaway, hopefully several for an individual doing this are on their own. And we're happy to provide this open playbook and help in any way we can. You don't have to own too many different things to accomplish this. That's a big shocker. We, we have a roster of no more than 50 positions in any one portfolio covering all sectors, all sizes, all styles in every neighborhood. That hopefully gives you permission to not think you've always got to be finding, as you said earlier, Jackson, the best theme of the hot sector, the hot neighborhood. I wanted to share this episode in the neighborhood report to never need another forecast. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, that is how we look at the market, right? How we look at these individual company names, top down, bottom up, and hope that made sense. If anybody out there has any questions, would like to schedule a meeting with our team, you can email us team at freedomdaysolutions.com. Visit our website in the show notes. Um, Ryan briefly mentioned it, but I'm going to put a link to the, uh, the article from a few years ago that covers NVIDIA. And uh, I think you'll be uh, very, very uh, surprised when you read through that. It's incredible. And uh, with that, we will see everybody next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. 
This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.